Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! This used to be a fun house, yeah, but now it's full of evil clowns, come on, yeah, it's time to start the countdown, yeah, I'm gonna burn it down, 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 I'm gonna burn it down, remember that one, Troy? Oh gosh, who doesn't? It's It's nearly a top 40 classic, and it has been in my fucking head all week long you know well <laughs> i have to say that you just put it in my head i hadn't even thought about that that song until you just this used to be my fun yeah it's pink fucking it's pink. pink it's pink <laughs> fucking pink it's like circa it's circa i don't know i'm thinking maybe like 2010 take me back i mean come on not only when you when you listen to dark night of the podcast do you not get awesome horror movie reviews you get pink you get Nelly Furtado. You get a full soundtrack. You get a full soundtrack. We're releasing season one soundtrack soon, you guys. And it's oh. a good one. It's a mid-2000s throwback. Yeah. <laughs> Troy, how's your week been? You know, it's going by fast, uh, which is a good thing. I, I think I think part of the reason why it's going by so fast is because I've had to watch a lot of movies in the last couple of days. You know, and, and we recorded twice this week. We recorded Monday and we recorded today which we usually only do one time a week but we did it special this week because if you were not aware we just today posted our very first full-length exclusive patreon episode to our patreon page where we discuss the 2016 halloween semi-halloween themed slasher flick terrifier so, and we did post a, post a little five-minute preview sneak peek on our regular feed. So if you haven't seen that, it's up there. If it sounds like something you you like, go ahead, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com, search for Dark Knight of the Podcast, and become a subscriber because you can get access to these extra bonus episodes. We'll do, we'll do two extra bonus episodes a month, and depending on what level you are, you get access to one or both of them. And it really helps us. It really helps us out. It's going to help support the show, help us improve the show, uh, keep putting out the content on a regular basis because this is time consuming. Uh, there are, you know, minor costs involved in running a podcast. Me and Roger both work first for uh, first class. I was going to say we both work first class. We're classy <laughs> bitches. We're we both work full time is what I meant to say. So this is time consuming. It is very time consuming. Anybody that does a podcast and does it well in terms of like the editing and everything and, and keeping up with social media, which Roger does an awesome job at. Oh, stop. That's all him. That's not me. That's not me. Everything you see yeah. on social media is Roger. Well, you're the reason that we sound so good. And you're the reason that certain reviews we get talk about the man with the velvet voice. <laughs> lest, lest we forget that Troy recently got a shout out because his voice is so <laughs> sensual. 
Just say it. Hey, if that's if, if my voice brings all the boys to the podcast, I'm all let about it be. It. Here we go. There's enough. My voice brings all the boys to the podcast. But, and but, they're but. like, it sounds fucking good. There that's you go. Right. It was, sounds fucking good. I was stuck with the next verse. <laughs> speaking of shout outs, speaking of shout outs, we do want to give a shout out to two Patreon supporters who actually subscribe to this bullshit. And they are <laughs> why uh, yeah. First of all, guys why but go on but we want to th- give a huge thanks to craig brocken yeah thank you craig and andrew andrew benoit i know who you are even though you used your first name i know it's you andrew thank you so much guys and we really hope you enjoy the terrifier episode and what is to come yeah and i gotta say like just spitting truths here guys I, do i listen to every episode that we record absolutely maybe three times I mean, I go through it and I nitpick and I sometimes I laugh at my own voice and sometimes I hate it. Um, and there have been episodes I've been like, oh, if only I could have done this differently, if I wish we would have revisited it and done this instead. But I will say the Terrifier episode, uh, from a personal standpoint, is one of my new favorites. And we're giving you quality material here, guys. We're not just BSing our way through a few flimsy episodes for our new our Patreon supporters. These are quality. Yeah, I think it's really good. And guys, just just to put it out there, if you listen to the little five minute snippet we I pulled out, it might sound like we don't like the movie. <laughs> That's not the case. It's just that was the most entertaining five minutes that I could find. Well, <laughs> one of the more entertaining five minutes. The whole episode's entertaining, but that was one that gave me a chuckle. So I pulled that out, and you know us by now. We are very um, thorough in our critiques, and we we point out the positive and we point out the negative. We're not going to you know gloss over anything if we have issues with the film we are certainly going to bring them to forefront which you will probably see with this episode yeah I, and this one coming up as well the one we're about that's, to that's what well. i meant with this particular yeah. episode oh yeah yeah absolutely what a good segue because let's be real this is a movie that i was very excited to review upon initial announcement and i still am like i'm still i i watch this movie and there's something like nostalgic and fun about it to me but does it necessarily hold up well that's something we will discuss in this this upcoming review and guys make sure that you stick around for the whole thing i mean of course stick around for the whole thing inevitably if you don't go fuck yourselves but but um if uh (laughs) stick around for the announcement coming after this because it's a good one our patreon supporters did get an early taste of what's to come with our next episode but i'm (laughs) I'm so fucking jazzed for it. It's my my most anticipated episode thus far out of everything we've done. So please stick around for that because it, it's some good news. But right now in the moment. Yeah, it's going to be our Halloween episode. So it'll, it'll come out at the end of next week. And I think you guys are going to really, really be excited for it. Not only the title that we're reviewing, but then the extra little pizzazz we added to it. So stick around. But but now we now it's all about another we, we did Hellfest last week, uh, which a lot of people seemed to, you know, they, people seem to enjoy the film. A lot of the feedback I got was, yeah, that's a cool film. It's underrated. So we decided sort of to stick with a theme. And I, you know, it's like these last Hellfest terrifier and now this film i was making all sorts of connections i'm like oh gosh this is it's almost like it was like just one big glob of film that had so much in common in terms of and i'm not talking about plot or anything i'm just talking about little things that i'm like oh gosh anyways i'm rambling we are going to be talking about with this episode the 1981 toby hooper 
You know Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Poltergeist. Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars, which we covered. We are talking his 1981 little teenage slasher entry, The Fun House. We are. We're talking um, a film that, for the most part, has a pretty, I'd say, positive reception from reviewers and horror fans alike. And I think, you know, revisiting it, as I said, it's mostly out of nostalgia at this point. Uh, Not to say that this film isn't entertaining. It certainly offers quite a lot of elements of this film uh, are extremely entertaining. Uh, But as a horror movie, uh, revisiting it, did I necessarily think it held up in the sense of uh, impact it had as a piece of the horror genre? Um, I don't know, Troy. I don't know. Um, I, for some reason, remember this movie being way more effective as an something that's scary <laughs> um i i for some reason i recalled it being so much more impactful mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a horror movie than it actually was this time around revisiting it um and that's interesting to me it's kind of a letdown in a way but i also embrace like the fact that this movie is from 1981 and watching it now compared to watching it at the age of like 18 19 20 it's going to have a completely different response from me you know so uh, i'm trying to watch it with um a a sense of reason (laughs) rationality you know understanding that i'm watching it as a grown adult now you know i feel like it's one of those films that if you grew up in the 80s you definitely have a nostalgia attached to it even if you haven't seen it for all for years because like you i have not watched this film and probably Oh, 20 years, if not more, fully from like beginning to end. I've seen like clips, you know, parts of it, but I haven't sat down and watched it like this. And like you, like you, I had a totally different response to it this time around. I, I, for some reason, I, I remember it being more violent and scarier, like you said. And I think that's because as a little kid, like I I think when you first, when I first saw this movie, I saw it in the eighties, I was probably what, eight, nine, 10 years old. And, you know, one of the kind of adolescent memories I have is going to my local carnival and going in through the funhouse attractions. So this film obviously really played into that experience and that nostalgia for me. And it always has, It, it always did when I was a kid kind of attracted me for that reason but yeah reviewing it this time around there or or watching it this time around there's just a lot of it that does not uh hold up very well and we're gonna get to it so let's just get get right into it and and because i don't know your your opinions on this you really don't know mine so we really this is a film we really have never discussed we usually sometimes discuss the films ahead of time that we're going to talk about this one we didn't because we really didn't have time we went from terrifier to this so Uh, a few quick notes on the actual cast of the film a good amount of the actors in this are to a certain extent veteran but they don't necessarily have any amazing huge credits that come to mind uh, one thing I did want to acknowledge uh, is that Cooper Huckabee, who plays Buzz, is very hot. Um, even with his awful Hades 80s haircut, he's still very hot. He's got a great body. So, so there's that. And he looks he looks roughly twice the age of the other. <laughs> he does. But God, those arms, my lord. That vein popping. But um, Sean Carson plays Joey, the younger brother of Amy. Another credit. And he does not have many. He was a, a strictly a child actor. But another credit he has on his resume is another 80s classic, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is a movie. If we're talking striking nostalgia in me, it's stirring my soul a bit. That's a movie that really comes back to mind. So 
connecting that actually kind of, I think, enhanced the experience for me, just seeing this kid, because it brought back all these memories of another movie that I really remember enjoying. But yeah, the cast, for the most part, I mean, does fairly well, I think. The actors are pretty capable, especially some of the, the dialogue delivery. Very natural for the era, the early 80s. While I don't necessarily like the character of Amy, I think the actress, Elizabeth Barrage, is very natural in the role. That doesn't mean her character is in any way likable <laughs> or makes or makes good choices, but she's very natural. The whole cast, I would say, across the board, good at the roles they're playing. Are they written well? Not necessarily, but they're likable for what they are. But it's an 80s slasher, teen, you know, an 80s slasher flick. Uh, so I can be an early 80s slasher fic, an actual actual one from the 80s, not one f- from a couple years ago trying to be an 80s slasher flick. This is actually one that came out in the 80s. And I agree with you. I think the cast is, is pretty engaging, although, you know, th- they try to build up a lot of characterization for these four, these these two couples. And even though they're on screen a lot of t- a lot of the time before anything like major happens, I still don't really feel a connection to any of them. There's just something off. I agree. I don't. You know what it is? You know what it is, Roger? I think I, I don't think any of them have chemistry together. I agree on that. There doesn't seem to be an established like. If you if you compare this film to, to sorry, but if you compare this film to the chemistry that the cast of Hellfest had versus this, they these just these actors just even though they're good, they seem to be like just going through the motions of of the characters. There's no real connection. They don't seem like they're really friends. Like they really know each other that well they're really dating like i did not buy what for one second the blonde what's her name liz was dating um richie and that you know buzz is a teenage boy that's into amy it just none of it made none of it came off as being a real there's just no chemistry that's that was my thing yeah i i agree on that and that's something i think that we see it for in many ways this film is paced awkwardly um, it spends a lot of time for build-up and story, but still manages to not give us really any reason to care about these characters. I, th- I think the main issue it takes place over one night, and I just think that they wait so long for really anything of substance in the sense of a horror movie, anything to happen, um, that by the time it does, it feels like they're really rushing to get through the horror elements of the movie. And so it causes, for, yeah, a really strange pace um, and that, and for some reason, makes the characters seem less genuine, less in the moment. Uh, it feels less authentic in some of these scenes. Again, doesn't mean that these actors are bad. I think they're good actors. But I do feel that the movie itself doesn't do them any favors in how they develop. Um, this film is one that had a severely large, bu- larger budget than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw, uh, I think, was made for like 140000 something like that. This is $3 million. And to a certain extent, it shows. The locations look great. They've got this massive carnival that we're going to be spending the large majority of our movie there. And for the time, though, the fun house as well. So the money was definitely put to use. But I also find it very interesting, Troy, that if you boil it down to its basics, this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre tell a very similar story. Yeah. A very similar story. I mean, like obviously, there's no chainsaw. There's not necessarily any cannibalism. But you've got a group of kids who go to a property they're not necessarily supposed to be, encounter a family that's kind of running some dirty business, you know, between the barbecue, <laughs> the cannibal barbecue, and what's been going on with this traveling carnival. And um, and then they make enemies with the family and they have to survive and defend themselves. 
and and I think Chainsaw does it way better. But this movie is still fun for what it is. And so yeah, we, uh, we let's get into the 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 meat of the story, Troy. The film opens. Uh, I do like the opening credits with the different Funhouse characters. That's something that I remember, like th- during Halloween, and it brought back a lot of nostalgia. I'm going to use that word because I was, as I put the my Blu-ray in and, and pushed play, and the, the credits come up. I'm like, oh shit! It brought me back to being like I don't know, an eight eight or nine year old watching cable TV during October, and the Funhouse was one of the movies they played, and just seeing the credits. I love the opening credits with the different Funhouse characters. Kind of, it's very similar, like a the Halloween, uh, Halloween two opening credits, but instead of a Jack Lantern, you get the different Funhouse characters. Very, very cool. The, of course, the carnival music adds to the whole feel of the film, and then we get an opening scene where Toby Hooper basically gets to try to be Alfred Hitchcock and John Carpenter at the same time with this opening scene because it is a teenage girl amy who we find out later is our protagonist and right away we realize hey this girl isn't afraid to show tits because she we get boozles right off the bat right off the bat right off the bat uh so which is kind of unusual for your final girl in in the early 80s to show boobs right that quick but she does she gets in the shower and then we get a pov shot of someone creeping through a bedroom and there's all these like Wolfman and Frankenstein posters on the wall and all these ornate masks and stuff. And this hand grabs a knife off the wall and then puts on a mask. And we get the very famous now Halloween shot of the camera looking through the mask's eyes with the heavy breathing as it goes into the bathroom where Amy is showering and in very psycho-esque manner rips the shower curtain open and starts stabbing her. And all I could think about was, oh, gosh, Toby Hooper was probably just rubbing his little hands together, getting to recreate the opening to Halloween and Psycho all in one. Or the shower scene from Psycho. It's not the opening, but you know what I meant. It's very obvious um, because it's so blatant. It almost seemed, I mean, it had to have been intentional because the the kids, first, the POV shot is the Michael Myers shot, like, dead on it's through the mask it, yeah you're you're walking down a hallway towards a bathroom and you just it, it looks identical yeah. um and then the 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 psycho shots are are also almost identical because the knife he specifically stabs towards the exact same area of the stomach and um it just it, it's got to be done with a wink to the audience and i think that's why it's passable for me because like it's so obvious it had to have been the case he knew what he was doing oh yeah i i don't have an issue with it because i mean it, it is so blatant. Like, I feel like you could put the, the, the scene, you could put the mask scene, the Michael Myers clown mask eyes and this scene together and it would match up almost perfectly. I, I think, I think what it was is, you know, Toby Hooper during this was coming off of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as being, you know, being called one of the next great masters of horror. And so what better way for him to kind of give a little nod to that than to recreate two of the most iconic scenes in horror history up until that point. So I really think it was intentional. It was it's fun. Uh, The only thing is it ends up being uh, it's not obviously a, a psycho killer that's stabbing her. It's her annoying little shit of a brother named Joey, who is literally the brattiest. Okay, I'm going to get there. But this kid, I hate him. He should have been hit by a train (laughs) right away. Well, Troy, I got a big issue. And it's something we've been seeing a lot lately. Um, Unnecessary characters? Well, no, aside from unnecessary characters, what is with these young punk 
male characters in these films being so okay with putting themselves in situations in which they're seeing their sisters topless. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm As a child, the last thing I'd ever want to see is anybody I'm related to in any form of nudity. And these kids think it's hilarious. Well, not only is he seeing her boobs, he's seeing her pussy. I mean, she's in the shower and he's literally stabbing down right towards her vagina. And I'm like, okay, knowing that this is like an eight-year-old boy, this is really fucking disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and just a little, uh, little cliffhanger for all you listeners so you know what's coming next week. Next movie features another child uh, <laughs> sneaking in at their <sighs> sister and seeing uh. them changing as well. So just Try to rack your brains and figure out what that is by the end of this episode. But yeah, it's disturbing. Yeah, obviously, Amy gets very angry, and I don't blame him. She chases him down. He like hit, hides a doll in her bed so that when she she thinks it's him, so when she he flips the covers up and there's like this puppet doll with like a knife sticking out of its head with fake blood, and I'm like, this kid is a fucking psychopath. Why is it this kid have his own fucking movie? Because he's going to be a mass murderer here any minute now. And so she he, she hears him in the closet. She runs and gets him out. And she is very angry. And she's like, "You, I swear to God, I'm going to get you back. And I'm not taking you to the carnival. You're going to live to regret this. And blah, blah, blah. You, you won't know when or where, but I'm going to totally get you back. Okay, she, she makes it clear. like She's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, oh, if basically, I was a child... I'd be sleeping with one eye open for the next three months if that if that sister made that kind of threat to me because she will get her vengeance. But this, oh, Roger, 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 this just okay. I'm gonna get there, but this this whole scene then just doesn't make sense into terms of all these stupid cutaways we have to get of this little fucking boy walking around the whole f- movie. Anyway, so Amy gets dressed finally in a, in a sensible flower skirt and blue top, blue blouse. She looks nice. You know, look, looking like a... Yeah, oh, she looks great. And I like the costuming for the leads in this movie because you can tell every single one apart. Again, something we've we've had problems with with previous films. You know your leads. Yeah, she goes downstairs and she's going to obviously go on a date with, with this guy. And the dad right away is like, you better not be going to that carnival because it's the same carnival that went through that town last year and those two little girls were found dead. It's the same carnival from Hellfest. It's the exact same. One. Well, you know what? Here we're gonna get there too because there's something very similar to Hellfest that I kept thinking throughout the, this whole movie. And she's like, "Oh, Dad, we're just going to a movie." And this mother, what the? F- oh, this whole both these parents are fucking miserable. What is the deal with the mother, though? Oh my god, she hates her children. She must be. I feel like there is like <laughs> scenes cut out of her being like an alcoholic pill popper. Yeah, I've never seen parents in a film who care less about their children. <laughs> like, honest to God truth. I mean, these this family, you say the, the, nobody has chemistry in this film? Let's look at this family structure. They hate each other. <laughs> like, literally, this family hates each other. And that carries through to the whole very end of the film because there's never a moment of them, like, <laughs> finding peace. It's yeah. just miserable the whole time. Well, you know what? I don't, I'm going to, just a little sidetrack here. I don't know if you ever read the, there's a novelization of this film. Uh, that was written by actually Dean Koontz, but it was under a pen name of Owen West. And uh, I remember reading it and he provides a lot of backstory about the family dynamic. So it's kind of interesting to read his take take on the family. Uh, just a side note, if you've ever read it, The Fun House, it's, I think it's under Dean Koontz's name now because he became a fa- he's famous, but it's a novelization of this film. 
FYI, if you want to read it, a lot of backstory. Nice. It takes forever to get to the end, but... Oh, so it stays true to the actual film. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but the mother's like, I don't know why you want to date someone that works in a filling station anyways. And you're like, bitch, your daughter's 16. Who else is she going to date? Like, be lucky she's dating somebody that has a job. Like... And such large biceps. <laughs> well, and Buzz, Buzz comes, he's honking the horn, picks her up. And, but yeah, it's Buzz. She gets in his car and he is an attractive looking dude. Very attractive. I were, I, he's looking good. Cooper Huckabee. I got to say, you look pretty damn good in your day, but you do look twice as old as Amy, which was distracting the whole film. Yeah. Meanwhile, Joey is spying on all of Ugh. this through. I know. I know. Troy. <laughs> I, I hear you. I feel your pain, but he's spying on this being, you know, mischievous and, um, he drops his Frankenstein doll or something. He's got, he's got a lot of horror movie um, items in his room, which I think is also to be like why, oh, this is why this kid's recreating these horror movie scenes is because he's clearly a fan of the genre. There's like Frankenstein and Wolfman shit everywhere. But so he drops this doll and the mom sees it and she's like, you get the fuck back upstairs or I'm beating your ass. Like, she's like, she's, she literally looks like Margaret Hamilton is the Wicked Witch of the West. I've never oh, seen someone scowl with such rage. Um, but the, the child obviously is terrified of his physically abusive mother and runs upstairs. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so in the car, Amy suggests that they go to a movie instead of the carnival. And Buzz is like, why do you want to do that? She's like, well, it's the same carnival that, you know, had all that trouble last year. And Buzz is like, oh, awesome. We need some excitement. And he makes some quip about her dad because she's like, oh, my dad doesn't really... I promised my dad I wouldn't go, and he makes some quips. So then she gets all pissy the rest of the night. Ugh. And he's like, well, we're going to go pick up your two friends. So now we get introduced to Liz and Richie. Buxom blonde Liz in her skin-tight red jeans. And nerdy-looking Richie. They put glasses on him so you can differentiate the two men. And you know what is one thing I'm, I realize really quickly with this film as to why I think the dynamic feels off in the... um chemistry seems sour is because the script and the dialogue between these four provides a lot of conflict it doesn't provide a lot of redeeming um or likable moments and i would say that's most of this movie there are not a lot of um pleasant likable bits of dialogue between people but there sure are lots of little moments of people like being kind of bitchy to each other and there's this whole thing with Buzz and Liz with the, again, with the father, the statement they said about the father. And they have a few little moments where they're kind of like, it seems like they're not getting along. I don't know. Do you, do you read that? But then they're like, um, they're on a date. And so when later on in the movie, when it's, when Liz is asked if, um, or I'm sorry, when Amy is asked if she likes him, she's like, oh, he seems nice. I'm like, bitch, really? Like, you do not seem like you're feeling this guy at all. And it's because of the scenarios that they, they kind of provide and the order that they are fed to us as the viewer. And I think that's part of the reason they feel very off. Yeah, because Richie and Liz and uh, Buzz are having like this conversation where it's like it's a jo- it's like a joke he's telling them as they're driving. And uh, Amy is just sitting there quietly just like this, with the scowl on her face like she is not even involved with the conversation and even i think even richie says hey earth to amy are you okay and she doesn't respond and we cut to the little brother then sneaking out the window uh of his house 
So we're like, oh, no, where's he going to go? Well, we probably know where he's going to go. And then the group arrives at the carnival. They park, they get out. Buzz then actually confronts Amy. They stay in the car. And he's like, are you mad at me? Because of what I said about your father. And she's like, no. He's like, yeah, you are. You're mad. Just come. And she's like, no, I'm not. I don't believe her. <laughs> like, she's pissed. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, when we get to the carnival, I've got to say one of the perks of the movie, one of the pros, is they make a nice usage of this environment. As I said earlier, it's mainly this one location they're at, this massive carnival. But God, they, they show us the whole damn place. Like, you see every nook and cranny. Uh, we get a lot of carnival footage that really establishes the environment, the size of it. And they also have a lot of, like, really great small cameo bits, uh, little rolls of really just gross, carny-looking people. Like, oily, greasy, hairy, heavily tattooed, just all-around sleazy-looking, trashy people. Uh, and if this film does anything for me, it just makes me hate carnies. <laughs> like, honest to God. Like, by the end of it, I was like, they're gross. <laughs> So we get a, we kind of get a montage of this, them doing various carnival activities. We have Buzz now do, doing that hammer, hammer game where he has to slam the hammer and hit the bell. And he looks, yeah, he looks pretty damn good doing it. Second movie in a row, we get one of these things. Although last week it was a little bit more unfortunate use of the, of the machine. <laughs> instead of, not a hot guy actually pounding it. <laughs> No, it's a, it's a hot guy getting yes. pounded and not in the way yeah. you like it. <laughs> uh, so he wins Amy's stuffed animal. And she cheers up a little bit. I think, you know, I, I think it's funny. There's like the, when he's like when he's playing the sledgehammer game and he looks pretty damn good. His jeans are fitting him real good. His shirt's tight. His muscles are bulging. He's, she's just sitting there with this grin on her face because I think she's like realizing, hey, at least he's fucking hot. You know, yeah. I, need, I need to get some of that dick at least. So maybe I should cheer up a little bit. I'm going to be like this at that bell by the end of the night. So I'm going to have a smile on my face because that's going to be good. <laughs> good shit. <laughs> and then they, yeah, they ride different rides. They're riding the Ferris wheel, riding bumper cars, just typical fair shit. And there is now the scene after that. And that goes on quite a while. But then we cut to Amy and Liz in the bathroom and Liz is teasing Amy about being a virgin. She's like, oh, and this is the scene you were talking about when Amy or when Liz asks Amy, do you like him? And she's like, oh, he seems nice. And Liz is like, she's like, nice. He's fucking hot. Like, girl, what are you, what you? And I'm like, yeah, damn right, Liz. Maybe you should be fucking him instead. And Amy's like, and, and Liz is like, if you play your cards right, maybe you won't be a virgin by the end of the night. I hope. And at this moment, <laughs> with, right? I would. That stallion. Absolutely. Oh, God. <laughs> but then, Roger, then we get. The cat lady from the the Terrifier movie is what we get. Although this one is, this one looks way more like a bag lady. Yes, this is a proper bag lady. This is a, (laughs) I don't know what's with the trend of crazy women in places they're not supposed to be, but that seems to be a thing as of late. And we're really getting in deep with them. And we have another one. It's like Pokemon. We got to catch them all. All of the the crazy homeless batshit broads wandering the great scape of horror cinema. Um, But this woman's just there in the bathroom and she starts screaming about Jesus. She starts screaming about God and how he's watching over everything you do. And I, listen, I'm always pro-crazy person. Okay, that's not true. (laughs) I'm (laughs) pro-crazy person if you know what you're doing with them and you're doing it in a way that's not too offensive. You gotta use them delicately. This woman... I'm going to tell you, listeners, right here and now. This broad 
serves zero purpose to the film whatsoever. She screams about Jesus here, she screams about Jesus there, and then she's gone. And she's... <laughs> she's done. I want to know, did she pay to get in? Or, or are they just letting her wander around the carnival with the, her bags and... Or is she a carny? I was confused at what she's supposed to be. Is she like the wife of one of the carnies? Is she a homeless person they just let live on the property? (laughs) I I, I don't... There is a dialogue scene coming up in which the two girls are talking and like they're at a payphone and in the background for the entire scene this woman is just wandering going through trash cans and then she like notices them and she just watches them for the rest of the scene but she doesn't do anything she's just there so i don't know what purpose she's serving troy but i'm not going to say i'd want the movie without her necessarily like you know what fine okay i'll accept her for what she is crazy woman loves the lord that's all there is to it. And she's a nosy bitch because she goes in the stall to go to the bathroom and Liz and Liz and uh, Amy are talking about, you know, girl. And uh, and Amy's like, how do you know? I'm, how do you know I'm saving it? Her virginity. And you hear the old lady from the stall. God's watching you. <laughs> My, mind your own business. Bitch, sit down. If you're going to be crazy, do not be crazy about anything religious because I don't have time for it. And I don't have sympathy for it. Unlike just being crazy in general. So um okay so she's from one ra- <laughs> from one random scene to another because now we get the little boy this little brother walking down the street the middle of the night this has to be like what 11 ni- at night yeah now? it's and- I mean it's obviously late and he's walking down like this is how I'm sorry this is how children get abducted <laughs> but he's walking <laughs> well, down an open this street, is the just like- but this is the scene where the guy pulls up next to him in the pickup truck and it's like hey little boy you want to ride and he doesn't say anything. And it's like, do you, I said, do you want to ride? And then pulls a shotgun on the kid. And I think it's like a, sh- a fake shotgun because it makes like a pop noise when he fires it. And then he <laughs>, laughs maniacally and drives away. But regardless, like the child is obviously traumatized by this, as any child would be. Um, and it's like never addressed. Like it's never addressed that this man just like threatened a kid. Uh, and the kid doesn't go home he just continues to go to this fair so it doesn't seem to really impact him that much but yeah it's a weird seat was that guy i'm curious i don't think it is but was that by by chance the character of the father um what's his name is it i keep wanting to say clarence it's not clarence it's um is it conrad conrad birdie like bye bye birdie conrad um you know the father figure that we see later is that him in the truck or is it just a random guy i don't know it's not him he's working the carnival oh you're right no you're right so this is just a man that we never see again this is just a random man that likes pulling guns on little boys i guess that was a prevalent thing in the 80s that's problematic (laughs) that needs to be addressed someone needs to uh, talk to this man (laughs) because that's traumatizing for these children whatever you know it's a different time yeah and now they go to no we cut back to the group and there's all these different various tents that you can go into with all the, um, uh, what are they, what are they, barkers trying to get people to come in? Oh, come and see the the freaks of nature. They're alive. They're alive. They're alive. So they go into this tent that's like freaks of nature. And basically all it is is two cows that I feel, re- deformed that I feel bad for because I think these were really deformed cows. They obviously, yeah, these are like living, like alive cows. And these cows... There's a lot of similarities between this movie and Chainsaw, obviously. And the cows, for me, are one of them. Because he really knows how to use cows (laughs) in a way that makes you, like, 
disgusted. Like they had the ones in Texas Chainsaw where they're at, like they're driving by the meat farm and they're all frothing at the mouth. Yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And like and like they're talking about how they can smell it and these poor cows. Now these cows, you've got one cow with a cleft lip, and I always like a cleft lip just sits poorly with me in general. I feel bad for it. But then we have another cow whose name is Daisy fucking May, and Daisy May <laughs> turns her head to reveal that she in fact has two two heads on one skull and like it's clearly a real deformity and this cow is living a life of misery and like i i hope they put these cows down after this movie <laughs> because god they they are not happy animals it's obvious the one with the cleft lip keeps like trying to lick lick his face because he doesn't have a nose so he can't smell so he's just it's just sad it's sad I don't know how you felt about it, Troy. I felt that all I could hear is that when Richie was reading the little descriptions, I don't know if you caught this, but all the the two deformed cows were f- both from Iowa. God damn it, Troy. You've been doing this. You Iowans. <laughs> put, what do you put in your No, but it made your cow feed. One was from Cedar Falls and the other I think the two hundred one was from Cedar Rapids. He when he was reading their little descriptions, and I was thinking but then my thought went to, is, does this movie, is this supposed to be taking place in Iowa? Is this the kind of tainted meat that you're eating in <laughs> Iowa? I don't know. But I just was like, is this, to, is this supposed to take place in Iowa? Because what would be the point of that? But I don't know. I mean, hey. Does this film give you an Iowa vibe, being someone who resides in Iowa? I mean, Iowa? it gives me, it's very, the carnival definitely reminds me of the local carnival that came through our city when I was growing up. Um yeah, but I, I this don't. This movie know. screams Midwest. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm Let's thinking. I'm thinking. I'm trying to remember in the novel. I think in the novel it may take place in Iowa. I don't remember, but it just is interesting. I just heard Iowa, Iowa, and I'm like, okay, how, what the 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 coincidence that these two deformed cows were both from Iowa, and you know, Iowa's you know a very cow centric state. You know, you think of cows, you think of Iowa. <laughs> so of all the millions of cows that we have living in Iowa, I'm sure there are some with cleft lips and double heads and two tails and God knows what else. But there we go. A shout out to Iowa. We love it. We'll take it no matter what. <laughs> Toby Ho- Toby Hooper probably scoured the farms of Iowa for Daisy and what was the I- other one? Duke? I don't know. Uh, this obviously this moment leads to um, a- a- another mutant. Because you gotta, oh, you God. can't just leave it at Daisy May and her cohort. Um, so they go into a like a secret room with a curtain around it, and uh, they find what is like a gigantic testing tube with what appears to be a mutant baby in it. Uh, and they're they're you know they're oh, peeking yeah. at this baby and talking about how it's obviously fake and everything. And to be honest, they never tell you either way if it's real or fake, but. The similarities. Oh, they do. Oh, do they say that this one is? Well, the later in the movie, yeah, it's brought up that it's. They actually, say that this one in the test tube is is. Y- yeah. Is he? Oh. You didn't God. catch it. I didn't know. Well, okay. Well, when we get there, I'll I'll point it out to you. Well, I was just gonna say, like, I either way, I think you've got to come to assume that this is. Real. It's real because there of the similarities. Be- there, there, yes, because there is a line that the father says later in the movie to the mutant killer. He says, "I don't. Your brother Tad is out there in that ten as a freak, and I don't want you in. You know, it's a good oh thing you didn't gosh. end up. I didn't even put two and two together of that being. It even has <laughs> a name. It's it's Tad Roger. It's Tad God. the formaldehyde baby. 
I should really be paying more attention to these things being a reviewer. Well, like I said, I watched this. I watched this like three <laughs> times in a row. And I, by the time I was like quoting the dialogue, because you know I like to be thorough in these reviews. Goodness, that's not something I've ever experienced before. <laughs> Teach me your ways. <laughs> but okay, so this is so okay. So this is a clearly then a real thing, but they think it's fake because mm-hmm. I don't know how you could think any other way. It's terrifying. It's it's disgusting, and they think it's a joke. So they um <laughs> they, they leave the tent and they pass through another like montage of like sights to see. And one thing that really throws me off, and it comes up a few times, is there is a tent at this carnival called Girls, Girls, Girls. And uh, it's, we're, oh, don't jump ahead. We're well, getting they, they there. Pass right. it, they pass it here at this first time here, and already I had noted, what the fuck is Girls, Girls, Girls doing at like the local family-friendly carnival that's going through town? This is really like jammed into the story, so I it's, it's mind-boggling to me. It's X-rated, and it is right in the middle of the carnival with all the little kids walking by. It's like right next to the cotton candy. So the group then decides to go into another tent, and there is another kind of pointless scene of them going to see this magician who does the trick of pulling a girl from the audience, putting her in a box, jabbing her in the heart. The audience thinks it's real for a minute, but it ends up just being her his assistant. And then they move on. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a moment that you feel like the scene had something else coming tied into it. You know, you felt like this guy was going to come back, and it just really doesn't serve any purpose again. I mean, the only purpose I can see it serving is that it, I think the film, I think Hooper was really trying to build such a strong, strong carnival atmosphere that he was really trying to show all different aspects of what we have come to expect from a carnival with all these different attractions and sideshows and stuff like that, which I can appreciate. I can appreciate. It's just that I wish there was a little bit better of a payoff for us sitting through all this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the next one is they they smoke some pot out behind the tent, and then they go. Uh, they notice the fortune teller tent, Madame Zima, played by I have to mention, played by Academy Award nominated actress Sylvia Miles, in a role that I'm sure she was very proud of after the fact. Well, uh, this woman ate no spring chicken, but let's be real. Those knockers are coming out a little bit later. <laughs> I love this character. Oh, Adette. she's great. <laughs> and she's yeah, not she, in it very long, but she uh, she steals the show, in my opinion. Uh, before they go into her tent, I do want to acknowledge that Joey has now arrived at the carnival, by the way. <sighs> can we just forget? Can we not acknowledge Joey at all? Right? No, no, we can't, because he's literally about 50% of the movie, unfortunately. So Joey walks up and pays with a fucking sock full of pennies and if i were the broad work in the ticket counter i'd be like you can go fuck yourself child there's no way i'm counting but why are they letting a little kid in it's after midnight by this point okay it has to be because buzz picked buzz picked amy up at 9 30 okay and they've been at the carnival now for a while they've ridden rides they've gone through it has to be pushing midnight there is no way i would let this little bastard in i'd be like you need to call your parents and come get your ass because you're if you're not with an adult get your ass home troy you're a lover of true crime what is one of the number one places in which children are abducted oh you you know what i just listened to a true crime episode about the little boy that got abducted at the carnival in washington jeremy something gant something look it up he, he got a duck he, he went to a carnival and disappeared this was this should have been joey so we wouldn't have to look at him half the movie oh my god this kid is so fucking obnoxious it makes my skin crawl uh it's probably the scariest thing in the movie to be honest 
But so these fuckers are smoking so much weed, by the way, like... <laughs> they are stoned through a majority of the film. Yeah, and they go into poor Madame Zima, who's just trying to do her job. And Amy volunteers to get her fortune read. And as Madame Zima is actually trying to do this, the other three are just sitting there laughing their asses off. You know, and Madame Zima is like, oh, I, I sense, you know, that you have premonitions that you that often come true. And Amy's like, no. And oh, and the group starts laughing. And they basically, they basically oh, and then Madame Zima tells her, oh, a tall, dark, handsome man's going to come into your life and sweep you off your feet. Uh, and the group is just laughing and being obnoxious. And finally, like I would, Madame Zima's had enough and she throws their asses out. Like she's like, get out. She says, don't come back or I'll break every bone in your fucking bodies. Beat it. <laughs> I was like, you go, Madame Zima. So this is after they leave the fun house. We do see the little, bro- or after they leave Madame Zima, we do see the little brother goes into the fun house ride by himself. While at the same time, the group, sneaks around back of the girls 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 tent or what was it girls 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 is that the name of the tent girls girls girl yes it's <laughs> very very uh, subtle about what it offers well they go behind the tent and there happens to be like rips in the tent where they can actually look in and see what's going on and we do get a glimpse of these women <laughs> Who happen to be, and I'm come on, I'm not being you guys know I'm not a mean person, but these have to be the most homely, dumpy looking women I've seen in my entire life. And they're wearing G string. Troy, who do you think who do you think you're gonna get stripping at a goddamn carnival? Quality hookers? No. You're getting the bottom of the barrel. Women who they probably had to grab off the streets of the town they just pulled into a couple hours ago. We're getting Bertha, we're getting Gertrude, and they're wearing pasties and G-strings. And You know, one of them's only missing a leg. <laughs> you know, one of them's got an eye patch. Like, these are rough women <laughs> making their money however necessary. But they're watching, and unfortunately, we are too, until until Liz has to go and find her own hole in the tent to look through because they're not sharing. They're not letting her look. And she runs into this old man who's like looking at through one of the holes. And she's like, I was like, this is the point where I, because I, I, I kind of liked Liz up until this point, but she's like unnecessarily like aggressive and rude to this old man. And he's basically just doing the same thing she is. And she's like, you old sick bastard, get away from me. And I'm like, Liz, you're you're kind of being a bitch. Like this poor old man's just trying to get his jolly off. If he wants to look at these dumpy women on stage, let him. And he ain't hurting anybody. No, no. And he like, if anything, he's being pleasant with you. So to accept the compliment and go with. Because he is, he's very pleasant because he even says, what's a pretty thing like you doing out behind here? You know, and he's trying to be nice. And she's like, get away from me, you old fucker. (laughs) (laughs) He waddles away. He does waddle away. This eventually, like, this all culminates, them prowling around, stoned and mischievous. It all culminates in Richie coming up with a scheme that the four of them need to spend the night inside the fun house. The fun house that Joey has recently ridden a cart into, um, though they did not notice this. So Joey's going through it as they're coming to the terms with the fact that they want to go into this fun house and apparently spend the night because apparently that's a good idea i don't know who even if they're most mischievous or stoned or belligerent i don't know who would 
possibly find this to be a reasonable idea. I mean, for comfort value alone. Where do you, where does one sleep? Well, where are you going to go to the bathroom? Where are you going to, you know, I mean, yeah. And I was thinking, not only that, like the obvious questions about why would you want to stay in the funhouse and how do you get these two girls to agree to it? Uh, to me, this is the point in the movie where like, it makes like the Liz character as, as we've seen her up until this point, I don't think would have agreed to do this. You know what I mean? Based on what we've seen, but she very freely agrees to do it. Yeah. Because they go, Liz and her both go and call their parents right away. And like Liz tells her she's staying her parents. She's staying at Amy's. Amy tells her dad that she's staying at uh, Liz's house. And that's the end of it. They're like, oh yeah, let's go do it. Whatever. And old girls in the background going through the trash the whole time. Like we talked about. Um, But yeah, I wish they would have spent more time like developing the who, what's and why's of all of this aspect over like maybe some of the meandering around the amusement park for shits and giggles. Um, just because it's not like they've been through the amusement park yet. It's not like they've really experienced enough of this to, to have motivation to do this. It's really like this kind of spur of the moment idea that comes up and everybody seems okay with it. Yeah, it would be a perfect moment for like some conflict. You know, for like one of the characters, like Amy, to be like, no, absolutely not. This is a dumb idea. And the group having to convince her to do it, you know, so that there is some sort of like rationale for why they want to do it. I would have loved to have a little bit of character development here where, where, where someone, one of these characters is smart enough to be like, no, this is a stupid idea. What if we get caught? What if this happens? But no, they freely agree to do it without any sort of hesitation or anything like that and it just makes no sense especially for the amy character based on how she has been portrayed because just an hour ago in the car she was pissed because buzz was taking her to the carnival when she asked him not to but now you're gonna stay the night at the carnival in a goddamn funhouse of all places i don't know but they do so they get on board the funhouse which has this like Frank, this guy in a Frankenstein mask is like the one that's running the funhouse. He's putting the people in the little cars and getting them to go. This fucker is so suspect from the moment you Ugh. see him. Like, he walks with a very awkward gait. There is drool hanging from the mask, like the mouth of the mask. Like, it's very obvious there's something wrong with this person. Without even giving any backstory to this character already, the Frankenstein stands out as being suspicious. Right off the bat. Well, the Frankenstein, I can tell you, is not very observant because he puts two couples in two separate carts, lets them go into the funhouse, and then sees that they don't, like, he's standing there the whole time and the carts come out empty and he doesn't bat an eye. Well, he kind of, like, it. looks at them and just kind of shuns it off, like, eh, it's okay. Um, as we come to learn, I wouldn't be surprised if this Frankenstein had some form of severe brain damage. Uh, it only makes sense. <laughs> but at the same time as Frankenstein's there, we have the brother, Joey, who's standing across from the funhouse eating some popcorn, watching, and he sees that, that his sister d never comes out of the funhouse. So now he's all concerned for some reason. So now the movie, let's, let's just fucking address the big blue elephant in the room. The, now the movie becomes partially a story of Joey becoming like a central character who's like sleuthing over the course of like the re the remainder of the movie it's joey's sole purpose to figure out what's going on with his sister and it adds a really like 
blase <laughs> side story to what could be like a potentially suspenseful horror movie at times. I feel like, man, having this side story proceed from here, having him be so focal really cut down on some of the moments that should have been beefed up moving forward. Because I'm going to tell you right now, at this point, there should be some horror in this movie, and there's not. And it remains that way for some time. And um, we lose out on a lot of potential scares because they devote too much time to the storyline. I don't understand what his fascination with his sister is. Like, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't get a little eight-year-old boy like being that uh fixated on what his sister's doing that he's going to sit there at a funhouse at a carnival all night to the point where he's sneaking around after it's closed to figure out what she's doing like that just doesn't make any sense especially when she just yelled at him the other you know earlier in the film but he does he sneaks around and there is even a point where he's like walking around like in the pitch black and the bag lady like jumps up from the <laughs> ground she like she's kneeling on the ground and she like jumps up at him like yeah she she's can- like and I'm like, they just let this crazy bitch wander around, scaring the carnival patrons. Nobody says a word to her. Assaulting children. There's so many people assaulting children in this movie already. It's unacceptable. We do get a really nice sweeping overhead shot. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, that's a beautiful shot. Yeah. I made note of that. It's when he walks away. After he realizes that they don't come out of the funhouse, he walks away. And the camera, it, it must be a, it's obviously a crane shot, but it gets higher and higher and higher. And it's like one continuous shot as it follows him walking away from the funhouse. And then you get this whole huge overhead sweeping shot of the whole carnival and like it's closing down and people are leaving it's beautiful and elaborate like i was thinking god this is 1981 and they 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 did something like this for a little horror movie i mean it was definitely a crane shot they had to have had a large crane because it gets high it's really cool it's like almost in one sweeping motion too yeah it looks really good and then he gets startled by that unstable christian woman yeah so inside this place okay so they the the couples actually go through the funhouse and we kind of get to see what inside of it and it's all these different like what you would expect these carts move at a rapid speed by the way it's it's gotta like it's like warp speed (laughs) they go so fast people are gonna get whiplash can we also acknowledge like how huge this funhouse is in the inside compared to how it looks on the outside yeah it's like a four floor (laughs) yeah basement which I don't understand. There's stairs. There, it's huge. There's different rooms, but from the outside, it looks like your typical little um, trailer type funhouse that you'd see in a traveling carnival. Yeah, it, it is. It, it doesn't really fit what you see from the exterior. And the first thing they do, like once they get inside, is they all just start fucking making out within, like laying around the setting of this of this <laughs> haunted house or of this like fun house, which is like a horror themed fun house. But I, I'm sorry, I would not be comfortable making out with anybody laying anywhere in this disgusting hovel. Uh, that, that, not without like a severe cleaning with like bleach and disinfectant. Like, have you ever been to a traveling carnival fun house? Like again, oh, yeah. these places are disgusting. And the first thing they do is like lay amongst the filth and make out. It's it's not it's not how I'd be spending my time. No, Amy even has her tits out and everything again. She's a loose girl, man. <laughs> While they are making out, they hear a noise, and so they get up to investigate it. And this is when we do see that there is actually a, a basement because through the crack 
in the floor, they proceed to watch what plays out. And it is the Frankenstein monster coming in with the old Madame Zima, the fortune teller, to pay her for sex. Yeah, um, it's an unexpected choice, but it goes by very quickly. I mean, like this scene happens and it happens fast. Basically, she comes in, they talk about money. You can tell real quick they're talking about her cell and her body. Uh, he lays down, he immediately ejaculates. And which, I mean, which honestly is not her fucking problem. I'm sorry, she earned that money. She agreed to it. There should have been a contract, though. Like, let's be real. But <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> she doesn't even get to touch it, really. It happens within seconds. <laughs> She's like, oh, does that feel good? And then she like... Oh, apparently it did. And then she's like wiping her hand off with a towel. Uh, but she he gives her a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks. But he feels that he like did not get 100 bucks worth of services, which again, there should have been a contract, but that's neither here nor there. And so he gets immediately irate, which again, this individual in the Frankenstein mask, like you'll come to learn there's definitely several things wrong about this person. And I dare say that he is not of the best state of mind so for her to be agreeing to sexual to fornicating with this person i'm sorry you knew that there were risks you're taking advantage of a simple-minded individual uh who has irrational violence issues that we've all heard about before because as you learn this has been a trend so he gets pissed off and he <laughs> first first he rips her bra off so <laughs> so just <laughs> her tits just fall out and then he chokes her like he's like, <laughs> he's like first of all we're gonna get your tits out for this and then i'm gonna choke the shit out of you and the kids watch through like a grate in the ceiling as madame Zena is killed she's killed in front of their eyes yeah he slams her into the electrical box first so that causes all of the um lights and the little animated characters and stuff to come to life and start laughing yeah, and he throws her down on a fucking bed, chokes her to death, breaks her neck, and the others can only watch on as they, as he does this. So then they, of course, are like, we need to get the fuck out of there. So they, like, walk through the place trying to find the exit. They do find a door, but before they go out, Richie's like, I want to go in there, her room and make sure she's dead. So he goes in to where this dead body is, and he comes about and he's like, yeah, she's dead, which, hello, you just saw her die. But we find out really why he really went in there in a minute. But uh, they find a door to get out and they can push it open far enough. Like it looked like like if it looked like I could squeeze through the, the, the slot. But they're like, oh, it's chained shut. There's no way we're getting out. But I'm like, one of those bitches could could easily fit through there. But alas, they don't. This leads to this whole sequence of them sneaking through the dark and fun house, which is honestly pretty effective. The fun house, I would say, is it's at its best when it's active and alive and it does come back to life eventually but while they're just sneaking through the darkness because obviously they're trying to be quiet there's there's a lot at stake they just watch someone get murdered um this sequence is pretty effective and, and i like it and it's fairly brief but it's it's effective and it's shot really well meanwhile joey is still still prowling around the funhouse this is the this is a problem this is a problem because every time there's something that happens 
action, like actual something that happens, action that we are actually then, are, that gets our attention and we're drawn in and we're watching. It fucking cuts to this little fucking kid that I could care less about. I don't give a sh- one iota shit about this little bastard at all. None. Zero. He doesn't say anything. This is the other problem. The character says nothing throughout the whole movie. And I'm not exaggerating. Joey has zero dialogue throughout this whole movie. So not only are we watching a fucking little perverted serial killer in the making, we're watching one that has zero personality, doesn't interact with anybody, never talks. It's just shots of him walking through this carnival looking scared every once in a while. And it really disrupts the pace of the film yes thank you i mean honestly i think my biggest issue with the movie is every time it feels like it's starting to get going and really starting to get its footing it is instantly tripped and fumbled by an awkward cut to something else a large massive majority of the time cutting to joey well and just like just sort of like terrifier when we mentioned some of the characters there's absolutely zero payoff with this character either right it leads to nothing like absolutely nothing so we have spent we've had our plot interrupted 20 times throughout this film for it to lead nowhere like joey doesn't get to be the hero there's nothing it just leads to nowhere it's pointless so as the group kind of recomposes themselves after trying to get out, they actually go back up to their little ceiling spot and they're, they're looking down again at this room. And now Frankenstein monster dude comes in with his, with another guy who's, I guess is his father. Right. So, and he's like, he can't talk, but the father knows kind of what he's saying. And he points to the girl and he's like, yeah, she's dead. All right. And the father like pulls the blanket over and realizes it's Madame Zima and gets really mad that this guy actually killed one of the family, as he calls it, which he means, you know, another carnival employee. He's like, I told you, you can kill all the, you know, all the local folks all you want, but you better stay away from, you know, family members. So we're like, oh God, this, this father doesn't care that this kid or this deformed kid is like killing other people, but God forbid he kills a carnival worker. Um, This whole conversation slash argument between the Frankenstein figure and his father, who we learned his name is Conrad, is one of the moments that is the most reminiscent of Chainsaw. And it's it's the dynamic between the father figure and this kind of sympathetic antagonist character that we have. Like, you know, like you had the Leatherface, and, and in this one you have this character who we end up, he ends up having a name. They end up stating that his name is Gunther. But up to this point, he's been this mysterious masked figure. And, I mean, when I say the dynamic is similar, I mean, it's very similar. There's so many little traits that are very specific. Uh, the choice of accents and how specific the accents are in either older figure, older father-like figure. Um, the abusive dynamic. The fact that the older fatherly figure is very verbally and at times physically abusive with these characters. The fact that the deformed figure is the is always in a position where they're cowering and meet and you feel an element of sympathy towards them and they're defending themselves cowering in front of their father figure but then in other moments have irrational outbursts of violence towards other people it's it's extremely chainsaw um and again i think chainsaw does it better but i do feel that this dialogue sequence is isn't necessarily poorly played i mean the actor that plays conrad does a good job of portraying this role. It's just, 
I feel like we've seen this before from Toby Hooper. Yeah, I agree. And the father, the father is even the the poor monster figure even calls tries to call him father, and the the guy gets like mad and like punches him and starts hitting him and saying, "Don't you ever call me that." I wish I, I I can't stand the the sound of your voice and just horribly mean to him. Yeah, you're right. It's very much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The father Conrad quickly realizes that. Well, the monster tries to give the, the father Conrad a hundred dollar bill back that he gave to the the Madame Zima for sex, and he's like, "Oh, you paid that old broad a hundred dollars? I could have got you one of those girl girl girls for 15 I'm like, "Oh, well, that's not much better." <laughs> If anything, I can assure you that Madame Zina, this ain't her first rodeo. That old broad, she she's been paying her dues for a while now. <laughs> but then they go to the money, the money uh, tin to to put the hundred dollars back, and all the money's gone. And the father like starts to very aggressively like berate and grab and shake the 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 monster and's like, "Where'd you put the money? Where'd you put the money?" And I'm like, "Dude, just a minute ago, you told him." You know, you knew that he didn't understand the value of money. So then why would you automatically think he took it, you know? But he's like shaking him. And then this causes, like you said, the the, the monster to have this a really aggressive outburst where he starts throwing shit around the room and finally rips off his mask to reveal the face of this monster, which is pretty gnarly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very much an effect of the era, but it's a it's a... I mean, it's a practical effect. This mask is rather well done. It is a very deformed face that looks like it's almost splitting down the middle. It's fanged, but the the, the actor's tongue is visible, so it has a very um, natural movement, motion, uh, emotion depicted in the face for being so much of a prosthetic. They did a pretty good job with it, and it does hold up. I wouldn't say it holds up 100% every time you see it, but for the most part, what they try to pull off with this, like, hey, I give them kudos. It's, it's. I don't know why this doesn't get more recognition for the fact that it's just such an effective, practical effect that they really tried to do something very different with this. Yeah, and it has the glowing red eyes. It's. I think it's Rick Baker that did the effects for this that went on to win an Oscar the following year or two years later. The very first uh, best makeup effects Oscar went to him for American Werewolf in London. So he is a very prolific makeup effects artist. So and it shows. I just wish I wish they would have utilized more of his special effects abilities with like some of the death scenes because those those run pretty flat. But this is a pretty cool effect. Yeah, I would say that the... I dare say the standout element of the movie it often falls within the creature and his and how he looks. Uh, I would say that's the strongest aspect of the film is that's giving you a very unique antagonist, a very unique killer, you know, quote unquote killer villain. Um, because yeah, as you'll come to find, the kills don't come till the tail end of the movie, and they are not the selling point of the film. Um, but so yeah, you have this huge mo- moment where he's he's flipping out and freaking out, and the kids are getting finally getting a view of this creature for what he is. I do want to acknowledge this whole thing you mentioned with the fact that the money is missing. Uh, as it comes out, you know, we learned that it was stolen by Richie. I understand, you know, in the sense of moving the story along, mm-hmm. adding that extra layer, uh, did not do the characters any favors. Already, these kids have made some 
awkward kind of stupid choices. They're kind of punks. Uh, and this did not help the likability factor for them, you know? Yeah, it's like the motivation for Richie to steal the money is never really explained. It's just like he went in that room specifically to steal the money. It had nothing to do with like wanting to see if this lady was really dead. So here you just watch this woman be strangled to death. And your first thought is to, hey, I'm going to go steal all that money that's in that you know cash box. Like that makes you a shitty person. There's no way around it. Period. Well, that and also like in the sense of like the motivation of the characters, um, I can see if they really needed this as like a tool to make them fall victim. But they did, you know, to the killer. But but the fact of the matter is, is there's already motivation. They witnessed a murder. You know, this steal this thievery doesn't add anything. There's already a reason for them to be targeted and hunted down. So it's not really giving you anything more other than just giving these characters, you giving you the audience more reason to dislike these characters. Well, we already know, but here's the thing, Roger, we already know that the, the, the monster is a killer. I mean, we already know that it's been established. It's been established. We just saw him kill Madame Zima. We've already heard that this traveling carnival has a history of people showing up dead. We honestly don't need to know why these teenagers are being hunted and killed because we know that this thing is a killer. That's all we need to know. So yeah, adding this extra thievery part of it just really wasn't very necessary at all. And in the meantime, Richie also drops his lighter through the crack and it falls on the floor right in front of the father. So now they are made aware that there is someone watching them and the father tries to coax him down and it's like, Hey, you know, come down here. We just want to talk. I got your lighter. I want to give you your lighter back, you know, and then he like gets a little bit more uh, threatening by saying, you know, you know, you're trespassing, right? You know, if you just come down here, nothing will happen. We'll just, we'll just make amends. And then he's like, well, you'll have to come down eventually because there's no other way out of this place. So now they're made aware that there's someone in the funhouse, which leads to what's it lead to? It leads to a cut scene with the brother. <laughs> Still walking around. <laughs> what the what, what, what like to be real at this point? What the fuck is the cherubic Joey possibly going to do to assist? Like, uh, uh, the stakes are too high. But this kid is determined. He's hunting around like he's going to be capable of solving some mystery. He's like eleven years old. And the antagonist is a dangerous monster. Like <laughs> we don't, we don't know. We still don't know what his motivation is, though, because he never talks. We don't find out why he is so obsessed with finding his sister. I mean, you got to know your sister's on a date with this hot guy, and they're they're they're. It's two couples. You got to know. I don't care how old you are. You still kind of probably figured out that they're probably up to something that you don't need to be involved. Well, with. I think the only thing that is playing factor here is that you do see him he watches them go in and then he watches for them to come out and he sees the carts come out but without them in them so and he was just on the ride joey went on the ride he knows how it goes so i'm sure instantly there's a reason to be like okay this doesn't make sense uh and he already sounds like a, a kind of a nosy fucking little piece of shit so from there he's just going to do his sleuthing he does at one point go back and find the car, though, does he not? Because remember, when they left the house earlier in the movie, they specifically showed a shot of him watching the car drive away. Remember that? 
Yeah, he goes. He go, he goes to try to get in the car. He finds the car, but it's locked. So yeah. he he knows. I think that something is up. But he's because he's a dumb fucking kid, choosing to instead of I don't know getting the authorities involved or something reasonable, he's taking it upon himself to figure things out, which is a horrible idea. Yeah, he does go to the funhouse and looks under it, and there is an effective jump scare. He like he pulls up the the curtain that's like under the base of the funhouse and it's like looking under it and then hears like a dog bark turns around and looks and then as as soon as he turns back like the monster grabs him it's pretty effective he gets away and he runs he he gets away runs but gets caught by by one of the carnies and then it cuts back to inside the funhouse the lights come on and everything's like all the animatronics are like going full force laughing and and scaring the kids and we get a scene with conrad the father is basically blatantly telling the monster that he wants him to kill the kid he's like i'm i'm not asking you to do anything you've never done before just get this done and get the money back and and gunther seems like he doesn't want to do it which i do think is an interesting choice because i do think toby hooper does do well having a sympathetic antagonist i i like that aspect of his villains and how he develops them there's always an element of sympathy um I'm very thankful at this point that the, the Funhouse has come back to life because I think it needed it. I think that the Funhouse, while effective in Shadow, is way more exciting when it's alive. Especially because the movie moves so slowly. And there's a lot of... At this point, there's been a lot of conversation pieces, a lot of dialogue between characters and between Conrad and Gunther already. I mean, they've had a couple of scenes together, but they are dialogue-heavy moments. Um, so it definitely adds to the story to have the Funhouse become a major playing factor in the film again. Because the, the the pacing, aside from this, has been pretty sluggish, in my opinion. Well, I think this is the, right here is the point it picks up. Once the ki- once the killing starts, it picks up pretty fast, and it goes it goes it it goes pretty fast. It just takes forever to get to the killing, because. As the group is sitting around, Richie is telling some story to the group about like he was locked in the closet by his brother and he was scared to get out because he thought, what if his brother was like waiting for him on the other side of the door instead of just like locking him in to scare him? So he just sat in the closet. At the same time, this skeleton like drops down from the ceiling in, a, in kind of a jump scare and they all scream and get up, except right away there's this rope that is dropped down from the ceiling where the skeleton dropped down. It goes around Richie's neck and proceeds to pull him up into the ceiling as the group is kind of trying to grab at him and and trying to get him, but they're really kind of helpless. They can't, He, he gets pulled up way into the ceiling. And that's our first real like horror element that happens. And then what happens after this? It cuts to... It cuts to fucking Joey, let's be real. But I do want to acknowledge, with this moment, it does start off a trend of violence-free murders, as I call yeah. them. Um, which is one of the least satisfying elements of this film. Um, the sequence is cool, because when he gets, he, he gets pulled up to the ceiling and all of his money goes flying. You see all of the dollar bills fluttering down. Yeah, that is cool. But that, I mean, it is what it is. Like you see, it almost, honestly, Troy, like was this movie, and I should have looked into this, was this movie PG-13? Like, or was, no, there wasn't even, there was not even PG-13 at that time, I believe. But like, what was the rating on this film? Because. I'm assuming it was rated R. It sure doesn't feel, I I mean, mean, it feels like they really, 
it feels like they might they almost like they my bloody valentined it you know what i mean like it seems like they almost went in and cut the horror out of it because man for being a horror movie every time you have a moment that could build up into something bigger like you said it cuts over to to joey it cuts away and i can't remember what when the rating system changed but i think at that time it was just pg and r i believe yeah i i would assume just because of like the the sexual content of it i mean the hand job scene alone in the 80 early 80s would have gotten an r rating even though it's not graphic at all but it's very heavily applied or uh, heavily you know yeah. implied that what she's doing I think that would have given it an R rating right away, but I don't know. That's a good question. The gore in this film is non-existent, and it, it is it is something to ponder why he made the choice to make the film virtually gore-free when we really this was in 1981, which was the basically the the pinnacle of your 80s teen slashers. You know, Friday the 13th had just come out. Uh, My Bloody Valentine, these gore-heavy films, and now he makes the choice to make this very much a sanitized, almost violent-free film. And I wonder if he was more about trying to play up the suspense of the film, but then the film isn't even that suspenseful. But after this scene, after uh, Richie gets pulled up into the ceiling, we cut to Joey in a trailer with the carney who rescued him now his parents are there and the guy is all giddy about like oh i washed him up real good for you and it's like wiping him it kind of pervy i don't know if you got that vibe and the mom is like totally cold and indifferent she's like oh yeah poor little thing i guess we better get him home I'm like what is this mother's deal surprisingly they're not sympathetic at all to the situation like <laughs> they have seemed so unlikable and detestable this whole film and this does not seem to help the father's a little bit better but god that mother hates her children like i'm getting postpartum vibes with these kids real hard um especially this this boy but um and yeah i totally hear what you're saying with this carney is like He's like, like gently patting his head, like blotting his head. He's like, well, he hasn't wake, woken up yet and he isn't talking much. Like, it's just, it's very creepy. This child has been targeted by three adults over the course of this movie now. And it makes me very uncomfortable. And at this point, we do establish a pacing of going back and forth between this way more, like more, way more rapid. Um, because now we go back into the, the haunted house. But 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 they but they, they they actually take Joey away. Okay, the parents do, do do take him into their car and they leave because we do get the scene with. I think you were getting there, but I just want to point out something that w this is the last time we see Joey. Thank God. Right, but it's spread like the, what they do with this whole moment of the parents finding him is they spread it over the next few scenes because you got to keep in mind there's this the scene that's about to happen. It extends all the way through to her seeing them through the fan because you know there's that whole moment where she sees them and she's trying to scream to them yeah 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 that's where i was getting so yeah. They're, they're yeah they're on the property for a minute you're you're right it, it does cut back now it does cut back to after that it does cut back to the inside the funhouse where the group is inside and there is a carnival car that comes towards them right yeah and they see a figure on it and liz right away is freaks out and she's like buzz has found an axe and she's like, kill it, kill it. And as the car approaches without even like 
looking to see what it is, who it is, he proceeds to just ax it in the head. And of course it's Richie. <laughs> it's Richie. I'm like, how? Okay. Think about it, you idiots. Would the killer really ride a carnival car to come get you? Like, let's be as obvious as possible. Like, come on, are you fucking morons? They're obviously using this as a distraction technique. And you just fell into their three-fingered claws. <laughs> um, I do, I will say maybe my favorite shot in the movie is the sequence of after he gets axed in the head, Liz kind of loses her shit. Yeah. And so the cart is like driving along and Richie's just dead in it with the axe sticking out of his head. And she's in the background, like running after him, just screaming like she's losing her mind um and i really love that shot and i love that eventually it leads up to a point where she's just standing there just screaming at the top of her lungs and the floor falls out from under her and she drops through a trap door yeah so now they lost liz too and now this is now this is when you see amy notices that her parents through the fan are carrying out joey right and she's screaming and but they can't hear her obviously because the fan is too loud there's a really interesting aspect about this when you because we've been talking about Joey this whole time and here's something that they did that I think makes him even more unlikable and I want to hear your thoughts on it. So yeah, the parents are walking him outside. They sit him on the car and they're talking to him on the car and they're like, "What's wrong? Something's wrong. Tell us." And simultaneously at the same time, Amy and Buzz have just witnessed. Liz drop through this floor, they're hitting on the floor, they're panicking, and there's this massive fan that's ventilating Aaron from the outside, and through the fan, Liz, I'm sorry, uh, Amy sees her parents, you know, she sees what's happening outside, so she goes to it, she's screaming, but it's obviously, it's this big metal fan, her screams are not carrying, but cut back to the car, and Joey's sitting there, and the father is trying to get him to talk, and he's like, what's wrong? And you hear the voiceover of Amy threatening him from earlier, saying, I'm going to fucking kill you. You know, whatever she said, I'm going to beat your ass. Like, they purposely placed this voiceover almost, I mean, to me it implies mm -hmm. that Joey almost was going to say what he thought was wrong. You know, that he was concerned, but chose not to, to get back at his sister. <laughs> Does it not feel that way to you? Mm-hmm. That, no, that's exactly what it is. There's no, there's no even, not even feeling that way. That's exactly what it is. Uh, that is what it is. He, he decides, he decides not to tell his parents that his sister could still be in the funhouse because she threatened him. You're, you're exactly right, which makes him even a little, even a more of a big piece of shit. Because why did we just follow you through the whole movie trying to find your sister, right? And he even has the point where he asks one of the carny workers if they saw a couple. If if hey, did you see a two couples like on a double date? And, she, and the the carny's like, "Do I look like Madame Zima to you?" So he's concerned. And we have had to follow this little fucking brat through the whole movie. And then that the one moment that he actually could do something like could culminate in his whole night of slooping, snooping around this, this fucking carnival could come to this point where you could actually do something. He chooses not to. That's bullshit. That's just bullshit. He's a fucking piece of shit. And you know what, man? I really wish that he would have been fucking killed by this monster because that's the note they leave it on with him. Like the family drives away 
and you never see them again. We don't ever see them again. Yeah, and, and so what was the purpose of of him want of 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 us having to watch well, this little fucker wander other around? Other than the him fucking his sister over. To be honest, like that's it. Fuck you, kid. Like that's such a shitty thing to do. And you know his whole thing, whereas he's been prowling around the the theme park looking for her, and his gut instinct is that his sister's in trouble. He obviously knows something's up. He's found all the pieces to the puzzle. He also got grabbed, or he saw a monster. What about that? Why are we telling people about that? He <laughs> saw a fucking monster. But nope, chooses to stay mute. So you know what? Fuck you, kid. I I hope you get yours in another movie. But so uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Liz is waking up in another ventilation shaft with another fan, and she is like coming to in this basically like dead end tunnel and she sees the shadow of a figure approaching and of course it's gunther who else is it gonna be um and of course being that she's a pretty girl he fancies her and so she immediately starts offering her body <laughs> like like this girl is very pathetic she's just like please i'll let you touch me i'll let you touch me like she's just pleading for her life and um apparently she had been carrying a knife with her that she had found as a prop so as as he goes to like mount her to i guess i'm assuming rape her um she does jab the knife into his back and he starts making his shriek noise and freaks out freaks out and of course starts slashing at her this troy is yet another moment in this film that cuts away at the inopportune time <laughs> like it is another massive letdown of a scene well i i imagined that i must have imagined it because this is a scene that i thought was a lot gorier than what it is we literally see nothing and my impression was always when i remember seeing this was that he pushes her head into the fan and I swear to God, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing like a, a, a shots of like her, him pushing her head towards the fan. And like, right as you get, right as it got there, it would cut away. And the version I watched on this Blu-ray, that does not happen. You don't see any of that. You basically see him on top of her and some moaning and grunting. And then all of a sudden he gets off of her. His hands are all bloody. He tries to pull the knife out of his back. So... I always assumed that her head was stuck into the fan and apparently I'm wrong. I must've dreamed that because it doesn't seem to be the case. Even when we like see her body, we do see a glimpse of her dead body here in a little bit and it doesn't look like that happened at all. So I literally must've been dreaming that, but yeah, you're right. It, it's, she's so pathetic. She's like, I'll make you feel good. I can make you feel good. Just like, like, come on, girl, stand up for yourself. <laughs> And he's like this at this point his he's has his mask off. It's his there's it's his nasty face, drool hanging off of his face. And yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, Amy and Buzz uh have entered into another level of the Can I tell you that this looks like the fucking grand ballroom of the Titanic? These oh, doors at the end. Where but wh this thing is not that big from the outside. Oh, I know. It it's absurd. This like the set uh, the actual funhouse interior is a mystery wrapped in an enigma because it is ongoing. It like it looks like at one point it looks like they're entering Oz. Like they go through this gigantic mouth into like this emerald green lighting. And then yeah, they walk into this beautiful ballroom with glass doors. I'm like, where the fuck are you? Like, have you been transported to another world? But um 
and they cut to the sequence of them just entering this building in the middle of Liz being killed. So, like, it cuts, like, away right in the middle of it, and then it cuts back to just to reveal that his hands are bloodied and that she is dead. But it really just seems like a cheap, like, cop-out of having to show you anything as the viewer. It's super awkward. Super awkward. But so they, they make it basically to the end of the of the tunnel ride. They get to the gate and the cars are lining up there in a row. And Conrad appears and traps them there and pulls a gun on them. And we get another fucking chunk of dialogue where he's making threats and so forth. And as he's talking, Richie comes around the corner in his little cart. I mean, I don't know how long this fucking ride is, but he's been traveling this entire time through this fucking fun house. So he appears <laughs> with his axe sticking out of his head, and it distracts Conrad for a second, long enough for Buzz to reach for the gun. And that, that cuts, transitions into a struggle sequence, basically. The pacing kind of picks up for a moment, thank God, uh, because Conrad, at first he gets the the, the best of him until Buzz manages to spear him through a sword prop being held by a knight in shining armor. And this provides for what I would say is like the only actual kind of cool gore effect in the movie. Yeah, and it's not even that impressive. I mean, we we get a we get the wide shot of the the of uh, Conrad impaled on the spear, and the spear is sticking out of his stomach, and he's like twitching and stuff. And Buzz is like, "Oh, we, I got to get the keys from him." So he goes over to Conrad and like tries to search his pockets for the keys, and of course, Conrad is not dead. So what he does is grab onto Buzz and pull him into the sword, and we do see like the tip of it go into his stomach. And then he, Buzz, still has the gun, so he like shoots Conrad in the face a bunch of times and uh, pulls away and, and is fine, except at this point, the monster, Gunther, drops down from the ceiling, sees that his father is impaled on the sword, and goes ballistic, attacks Buzz as Amy runs out of the room. Amy, at this point, Amy really pisses me off, because she, do like, she does nothing. She does nothing to help anybody. She just kind of stands there and cowers and pouts. And then as she sees Buzz starting to get attacked, she actually goes to, like, run away. Like, and she's just standing there crying, and then she, like, flees the scene. And it's such, like, a letdown, because, I don't know, I mean, we've talked about this how many times now, about wanting a strong female. And there was no reason to make her so lame. Like, come on, like, again, Toby Hooper, come on. Like, sure... Um, Marilyn Burns may have mostly just screamed and ran, but God, did she scream and God, did she run. And she was fight and flight. This girl is just whimpering power. And very few times does she take the chance to actually fight back or defend herself. So that's a kind of a letdown of this character. And I think that is kind of poor writing. She runs out, out to the next room within the, the fun house and she turns around and the doors open, and a clown prop comes out, carrying Buzz, who is now dead, in its arms in a very awkwardly positioned way. I mean, it is uncomfortable. I, I This poor actor, he had to be so uncomfortable, because he's like, it's a very dramatic like moment of his body just laying there in the, this clown's arms. But the thing that sucks about it is, aside from the stomach wound, there's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, we don't even know how he died. There's nothing. 
I mean, it's no, he's just dead on the, on this clown's eyes. Our clown's clown's arms sprawled across this clown's arms. And of course, Amy just like stands in front of it and just like screams and whimpers. And then she decides finally to run. And at the same time, she runs all of the animatronics in the funhouse turn on again to disorient her. It's kind of a cool because she's like looking around trying to figure out and all these things are like laughing at her and stuff. And she goes into the um to the office or the room where we do see the glimpse, brief glimpse of, of Liz's body. And all that it looks like is there's like her face is bloody. Like there's nothing. And it's a brief glimpse. She shuts the door. The monster Gunther breaks through the door and Amy escapes like down this hatch and ends up in this like boiler room. I don't even know what this is. There's chains, gears. What is this? Do all fun houses have this room? I want to know. I don't know. I it, it makes no sense. It looks like a fucking like meat factory. There's like yes. tons of chains like rotating around the room. I, I will say at this point, like thank God they kind of give us a bit of a chase sequence because like it needed it. This movie needed it. Like it needed some kind of faster pacing because uh, because she yeah she runs through the haunted house and visually it is pretty stimulating. I do enjoy this whole sequence. She gets down to this 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 boiler room. Yeah, you're right. Which I'm guessing is like, you've got a lot of like, wheel spinning wheels and shit. Like it basically is, I guess, what keeps the like the ride aspect of the the trip going. I'm I'm a I guess could be, but there's like chains with like meat hook things hanging off of them that keep going that are going around in this giant circle. What the hell are they doing? It has no relation to the actual movie whatsoever. It feels like a completely different environment. But it, it does lead into what is, like, the final sequence of the movie. And going into this moment, I do want to establish that, like, let's also just acknowledge up to this point that, that the amount of time spent pursuing the kids and killing them off compared to the amount of time we've received vast amounts of background and, like, story and uh, just time spent at the theme park, it is a not a fair balance. Because this is the last scene of the movie. It goes by pretty quick. And I don't want to say it's a letdown. It's probably the best moment in the film, but it's n- it's not like anything massive. It goes by fast. It's it goes by super fast, super fast. It it looks good. It's it's kind of an interesting like ending to the film, but it's just it's it's yeah, it's just rushed. And we're I my whole again. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I just kept thinking, what the fuck is this room? I, I don't get it. She's re- and how big is this fucking fun house compared to what it looks like on the outside? Because she it's just I don't know. But anyway, so she the monster as she's in this room surrounded by all these bells and whistles and chains. The monster, I do like this because there's a, she's like staring at the she's staring over at where she came down the open hatch waiting for him to come down. And as she's like cowering, all of a sudden this ladder drops right in front of her and he comes climbing down the ladder and it's like a little moment that i thought okay that's a little clever because we do we did expect him to come down this hatch but he doesn't he comes down a different spot but she does i mean we have to i have to give her a little bit of credit here she does immediately pick up this pipe and and try to fight back she hits him with it a couple times uh and as he tries to grab it from her and she yanks it and lets it go he falls back and the pipe goes into the uh, power box and he gets electrocuted. And it's like, and I do like this scene because all the color is like flashing blue and there are shots of her 
just her face like backing up with this like this gaping like surprised look on her face and it so reminded me of the ending of Poltergeist with Dominique um uh the actress uh, the character that is the daughter who in in Poltergeist when she pulls up in the car and the house is like flashing and, and crumbling upon itself um her backing up and like you see the flashes of blue all over her face and she's just like staring in disbelief it very much reminded me of, of that scene but he he basically gets pulled into the chains and gets pulled towards the gear these giant two giant gears that are in the middle of the room and um yeah as he gets closer to these two giant gears he actually grabs her and pulls her along with him and she right as he's going into the gears she lived the very last minute breaks free and he like gets pulled into these this like giant gear shaft and is like convulsing and like just being he was this actor was really living this getting crushed by gears yeah for such a, a tame tame movie they sure like gave you an aggressive final moment with the creature uh, you know defeating the creature they really made it violent uh, one thing that annoys me is with the way they wrote amy's character she only technically like really defends herself once she like finally fights back and through like a, a, a series of random accidents manages to violently like electrocute gunther and then have his body fall into like the clockwork and get caught on like the hook that like carries him around you know what i mean like it's like she did not earn that kill <laughs> no that was it was nothing it was really nothing she did it was all by happenstance it was the fact that when he grabbed the pole from her he swung it back too far and hit the fuse box it was nothing of her doing it's not like she she did anything but i i mean i do even even as the uh He's getting caught in the gears and the lights are flashing and it's just her face. Uh, it very much is reminiscent of the scene with Dominique Dunn. Dominique Dunn from Poltergeist, that ending scene. Rest in peace, Dominique Dunn. Rest in peace. She was, yeah, that what happened to her was bullshit too. The monster's dead and Amy somehow then miraculously can just walk out the front of the funhouse now. I mean, apparently because the monster's dead, the doors are unlocked by themselves because this was the same door they tried to get out earlier that was chained. But now it's not. And she walks out and as she's out and it's broad daylight, it's morning now. She turns around and that big fat lady thing at the top of the funhouse laughs at her and then it just kind of dies and i was like oh you're clever toby hooper because it's not over till the fat lady sings ha 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 it's so clever man i feel like that fat lady is really um really sp- speaking for us the audience because it's <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um i think this ending is so absurd because amy like just went through this traumatizing yet brief experience <laughs> and now she waddles out of this fun house and like there's all these people kind of standing around her just going about their day and she doesn't approach anybody she just kind of like she stumbles out of there like as though she maybe just experienced something like kind of uncomfortable <laughs> yes and she doesn't ask anybody for help yeah. there's all these people that are like tearing down the carnival the, the bag lady is still there doing her thing i'm like does this bitch ever leave or go to bed or anything because she's still there this ending feels extremely incomplete to me 
And then it ends. And basically, it ends. It ends with her walking away, and we see a, 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 a another aerial shot of her walking, and everyone just tearing down the carnival. And then the credits roll. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um kind of a deflating balloon of an ending for a movie that overall, as I kind of implied at the beginning of this review, does not really withstand the test of time for me. Um. It's fun. I'm happy we watched it. I prefer many other films by Toby Hooper over this movie, to be honest. Like, this one is almost at the bottom of the barrel. I'd rather watch Invaders from Mars any day of the week. I think that, you know, I feel like Texas Chainsaw was visceral. Invaders from Mars was almost, you know, kind of comedic. And I feel like this falls in a very blase middle area uh, where it tried to be both kind of light and less violent than the la- the previous film, uh, and almost have it in some ways kind of a sense of like cheesy sci-fi, like you know it's a monster movie, um, but it just doesn't quite hit for me. Not to say it's not fun. I had a lot of fun watching it, and it's a very pretty movie at times. But there's not one standout moment to me. There's some moments that are okay. There are some moments that I would categorize as good, but there's not one moment that I'm like, this is a favorite moment of mine. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The The film looks great. You can tell it had some budget behind it. I love some of the shots. The cinematography in this film is top notch for an early 80s slasher film. You don't see a lot of inspired cinematography like this, uh, but it just, I don't know. I, 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 I had a... In my mind, I just thought it was a much better film than what it really is, if that makes sense. And I think it has to do with watching it as a kid and the nostalgia of it and just the familiarity of, of being a kid going into these types of carnivals and fun houses and then seeing it translated onto screen in such a beautiful, elaborate way. Obviously, as a kid, is going to attract your attention. And I feel like this film almost, to me was made for kids man yes i don't know it seems like that way and i wonder and i i know i guys i know there are fans of this film trust me i know there are fans of this film but i i just i implore you that if you're a huge fan of this film or you think let me let me rephrase this if you're a fan of this film awesome i can see i can see it but if you're one of these people that are listening to this and you're you're like oh i love that film i implore you to do this if you haven't seen it for a long time please rewatch it and just see if you still feel the same way as you did maybe that when you were 12 years old watching it, because it is kind of an iconic, I would say the, like the cover art of this film is definitely iconic, but the film itself, if you think this is a great film and you, but you haven't seen it for a long time, just watch it again. I, I get, I enjoyed watching it. Is it, a, is, is it, it's probably a film I'd revisit every couple years, but it's like not a film that I'd be like, oh, I got to watch The Fun House. It's good to put on like at a Halloween party, maybe, where people aren't really paying attention and just mingling and just have something in the background because the plot is so slow and meandering and the Joey shit is just pointless uh, and it doesn't pick up or give you anything of substance as far as horror or slasher movie wise until the last 15 minutes. I, you know, when it comes to movies of this era, older films, I often, I, I'm one of those people who tries to fall back on the word iconic a lot. I'll say that a movie's iconic, and this is an example of a movie that I don't think I'd use that term for. It's a classic horror movie, 
made in the 80s, but I certainly don't think it would be iconic. It has some memorable aspects, but I wouldn't categorize it as a movie that, like I said, withholds the test of time. He, he's got better he's got better films yeah i said the cover was iconic oh no and this was this was kind of a separate thought from you no saying no that. no i know i know what you're saying but i'm saying i think the cover art is iconic i don't think the film itself has anything that's really iconic to it i mean it's it's just bland and you're like you're right his texas chainsaw massacre is 20 times better than this even even salem's lot his made for tv salem's lot is better than this but that, I mean, I'm glad we watched it. It was a good little Halloween watch. Like I said, guys, this would be a fun one to put on during a Halloween party when people really don't have to pay attention and just have it on in the background because there are some some scenes that I think are cool. Uh, that's all I can say. Yeah. That's all yeah. I can say. So that's the fun house. So you have any last thoughts or do you want to talk about our next film that is <laughs> a Halloween themed film that is going to well I'm much more excited to discuss that film I guess I will say at the end of the day that this film um has some fun visuals and there are things that I think that like you said revisiting it every few years there's a few individual shots in the movie that I really get excited by um but overall it's not a movie I can see myself chomping at the bit to bust out and pop in pop in a blu-ray anytime soon um but i appreciate it for what it is it's a cheesy monster movie and when you said it feels like it was made for kids when i busted out the pg-13 term earlier i can't really think of a film from this era that feels more pg-13 or more watered down or skimmed of its horror elements it definitely feels like some things had to have hit the cutting room floor it's interesting because i read that this film was considered a video nasty of the era but it's been considered mis mistitled yeah because of this. and i absolutely agree with that i think it does not make sense for this to be called a video nasty I, if I remember, yeah, I do remember that, but if I remember correctly, the reason it was called a video, the reason some people think this was named a video nasty is because there was that film from the 70s, the mid 70s called oh, The Last House on a Dead End Street that was like a snuff type film, a fake snuff film, but they, the alternate title for that was The Fun House. So there was kind of confusion between the two films. Yeah, so it was a almost an accidental mistype. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's no reason, there's no way this should be a video nasty. It's not that. No, it's an unearned, unearned uh, uh, title for that indeed. But yeah, uh, regarding, man, regarding our next review, whew, guys, it's it's Halloween. It's a big time for us horror fan lovers. It is that time of year it's our christmas we have plenty of reason to celebrate this season's been good to us there have been a lot of horror movies uh hitting both uh the big screen and the small screen plenty to acknowledge plenty uh, to view plenty that i'm sure some of you have seen already but i want to talk about a movie that really defines the season for me um when i think halloween there's a few titles that really stand out and i would say one of my top Three, without a doubt in my mind has to be the 1987 iconic and i'm using it wholeheartedly here uh night of the demons yes one of my favorites yeah it's huge huge it has a huge following huge fan base um if you, if you go to any film festival and you're gonna see Amelia Kincaid and Linnea Quigley and you know the fans go crazy for him and it completely makes sense because the characters in this movie are one of the things that make it so great what a good cast and 
I've got to say we're very lucky because um, we do like to have special guests once in a while, but um, our special guest for this specific review is none other than Judy herself, Kathy Podwell. We are going to have a two-hour-long review of Night of the Demons with Kathy, who is going to take us through the movie scene by scene and help us dissect the film and just kind of reminisce with us her experience of, of creating this iconic piece of cinema. And I can't think of a more exciting way to spend the holiday. I mean, yeah, guys, how exciting is that, that we get the final girl from Night of the Demons to come on our little show to talk about the film? So I, we really want you to tune in because it may stray from our t- typical format just a little bit. We may not be so... Um, as thorough covering the plot as we generally are, just because I feel like the movie itself is so well known and so well viewed by horror fans that I I don't feel like we need to spend as much time going through it, you know, frame by frame as we usually do. I I really want it to be because we we are lucky enough to have her on the, the, the podcast to, yeah, talk about the plot of the film, but also more about the production and, and the making of it and, and, and just having some conversations with her about how, you know, the film, how, how the film has kind of impacted her, and you know what her whole view on the film is now, all these years later. It, it'll be a very interesting episode. So, guys, that is our big treat for you. It, it, it took Roger f- worked his magic and was able to get her to say yes, and hopefully, it's just the start of these types of guests that we have with films that we cover that actually have been in the films. We have some other ones kind of in the works that I'm excited about. So. Definitely stay tuned. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to hear about more than anything, what was it like on that set? Because when you think of what this film is known for, it's the amazing makeup effects and the practical effects and and just like the second half of the movie movie is batshit. You know, it goes all over. Yeah. And they do some really amazing things and some really great sequences. And I want to hear about what it was like making that come to fruition. Like, oh, we're absolutely. Very lucky to have her. So yeah, guys, all the more reason to tune in next week, Halloween week. Night of the um, Demons with Kathy Pobell. Yes. Next until week. then, we hope you enjoyed the fun house. I can't wait for you to go and download that song by Pink. Um, <laughs> and honestly, and until next week, guys, I, I hope you have a delightful weekend and let's get ready for a really kick-ass episode. Absolutely, guys. It's gonna be a blast. Again, Night of the Demons, Kathy Podwell. Gosh. What more could you ask for for Halloween? And again, if you want to, if you if you're pining for more Dark Night of the podcast, go over and check out our Patreon. The link will be in the show notes. And we do have a Terrifier episode, and then we have a mini episode, and we are planning our next full length uh, episode as well. So stay tuned for that. But guys, thank you. Or if you don't want to do that, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Are we? Do we want to announce what our next our next no, Patreon let's, let's episode wait, is? Let's wait. Let's wait. Do you want to leave a hand? Oh God, I'm so. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Let's wait. But I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Well, guys, right now we're just gonna bask in the glow of Kathy Podwell. That's all that's coming, and that's all that we need right now. Yeah. Exactly. We don't want to. We don't want to overwhelm them too much. With awesomeness, <laughs> right. All right, too guys. Much. Too all much. All right. You guys have a good one. Good night. <laughs>